So Lord, we thank you that um, as we sing that song, that we can now pray that song, that you would come and fight for us, that uh, Lord, you would move through our cynicism and through our doubts, through our weariness, our distractions, that you would allow us the grace, Lord, this morning to experience your Holy Spirit um, moving toward us in grace, but also moving toward us in strength and power, and that Lord, even as that hurts, I pray that we would not be afraid of your kindness to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And you be seated. And if you have a Bible today, then we're going to be, we're going to be jumping around to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, we're going to be going to Exodus chapter 20 first. And then um, if you want to look it up, Luke chapter 15, we're going to dash over there. Um, about halfway through the sermon in about an hour and a half. So uh, when I first became a Christian, I really was fascinated by the people that I would find that would speak to where I'm at and um, in a very compelling way. And I remember going to a conference um, and the guest speaker was a guy by the name of Tony Campolo. And uh, you may or may not know of this guy. I mean, he was a juggernaut back in the 90s. But I remember him talking about, um, he had just come from another conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I perked up, I'm like, wow, that sounds very exotic to speak at a conference in Hawaii. And he said that he, he has this chronic problem of not being able to sleep. And so when he was in downtown Honolulu, he got out of his hotel room, it was like, Three o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep, so he went for a walk, and he found himself in this greasy spoon diner uh, in downtown Honolulu, and he's sitting there eating or drinking coffee, whatever he's doing, and around 3.30, this group of women came into the diner and uh, sat in a booth right behind him, and he can't help but listen, but it was this group of women that were prostitutes and that were working the streets and come in for coffee, and one of them named Agnes... um, says to her group of friends, she goes, guess what? Tomorrow's my birthday. And all her friends are, you know, like poking at her and making fun of her, like, what do you want? Like, you know, and um, he wants to get you a gift. And, and so Agnes just gets dejected and just gets quiet. And Tony's listening to this. And after about 30 minutes, these women leave the greasy spoon. And Tony goes up. Now, you got to understand, Tony is one of those guys that loves creating awkward situations and loves stepping into awkward situations. He was the kind of guy that if he's going through a toll road, he would pay his toll and the guy behind him uh, just to see how the car behind him would react when that car pulls up and realizes some stranger just paid their toll. So he goes up to the owner of this, um, this little greasy spoon named Harry and said, hey, Harry, do you know these women that come in here? And he said, yeah, they come in here every, every night at 3.30. He says, for years, I've known them. And he goes, do you know Agnes? And he goes, oh, yeah, Agnes. And by this time, Harry's wife had come out from behind the back. And she goes, oh, yeah, Agnes is the sweetest woman. She always is doing stuff for other people. And Tony said, you don't know me, and this may seem crazy, but what do you think about us throwing a birthday party tomorrow night for Agnes? And they, they get excited, and, and Harry's wife says, I'll make a birthday cake. This will be fantastic. And so the next day, Tony goes out and gets, he makes a sign and gets balloons and gets all the stuff that you would need for a birthday party. 
and he shows up at the diner around 2.30 in the morning and they decorate the diner and they've got the cake ready and they start waiting and around three o'clock or 3.30, in walks Agnes with all her friends. And as she walks in, Tony, Harry and his wife scream happy birthday and start singing happy birthday to her. And they bring out a cake and it's got all the candles on it and Agnes is shocked and she's looking at the cake and that's when Harry goes, uh, blow out the candles, Agnes, and then just cut the cake. And she's looking at Harry and she goes, look, Harry, if it's all right with you, if I mean, if I don't, like, I mean, what if I wanna ask if it's okay if I just keep the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? And Harry really didn't know what to say, but he said, sure, if that's what you wanna do, keep it. Like, take it home if you want. And she goes, really? He goes, sure. And she goes, great, I just live right around the corner. Uh, I'll just be gone for a little bit. And she picked up this cake, I'm imagining to carry it home to whoever's at the home to display to them that somebody is throwing a birthday party for her. So she gets off her stool and she leaves and there's silence in this greasy spoon because Agnes is now gone with the cake. And the other three prostitutes are standing there looking at Tony and Tony says, why don't we pray? And so he prays, he prays for Agnes that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her and that she would know Jesus. And when he finished, Harry leaned over to Tony and said, hey, you never told me that you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And here was the classic line. Tony said, I go to the kind of church that throws a birthday party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning. Here's Harry's response. No, you don't. There ain't no church that's like that. If there was, I'd join it. So pause for a moment and just think about that. There is no church like that. <clears throat> what if that's what the church is exactly like? What if that's what we're building right here at Midtown? What if we're trying to build here as a community of people that take what the world said should and we turn it upside down? What if what we're trying to build here is a community of people that have been so kissed by grace that when we kiss the world with grace, that it's astounding, it's unbelievable. It's like people don't do that. How did the church get so far from being the church that throws parties for prostitutes to the church where prostitutes would never walk through the door because they would be judged? What's happened to us? And so what we're doing over this series as follows, we're trying to reclaim who we are. I'm trying to help you reclaim who you are. We've been so distracted by life's demands and by cultural comparison. We've been so distracted by Corona and we've been so distracted by this presidential debate and what's happening in the streets. We've forgotten who we are. We've become afraid. We've gone, what's gonna happen? And we have forgotten that we're the people that have been so kissed by grace that when we kiss this world with grace, the world goes, I don't get that. So I'm about to talk about some grace kissing this morning. And trust me, it's, this ain't gonna be easy, all right? So we're going to the Old Testament. This is Exodus chapter 20. 
And verse 12, where God has gathered his people Israel, he's brought them out of slavery and he's brought them into freedom. And the 10 commandments, if you wanna understand the 10 commandments, Jesus or God is saying to the Israelites, all you've ever known your whole life is slavery. 400 years, generation after generation after generation, that's all you've ever known. I've got to teach you now how to live as free people. And the 10 commandments was to, a way to help them learn how to live free. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land and the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and your mother. So go do it. I mean, it would be so much easier just to say, you know, you ought to run this race. It's called the Ironman. And really all you have to do is you have to swim a little in the water and then, you, you know, and you can swim, right? Or you can play in water and, you, and then you get on a bicycle. You all have ridden a bicycle, right? What's the big deal? And then run. Have you ever run? Run to your car. But then when they say, no, no, you have to swim two and a half miles in open ocean. Now it becomes a little bit more complicated and now you think I'm gonna drown. And the same is reality when I say, go honor your father and your mother. I mean, it's, we're drowning, we're drowning. This word, this, it's a Hebrew word, kavad or kavade. It actually is a word that talks about something that's weighty or heavy. And what it's saying is, is that when you look at your mother and your father, that their role in your life, their position as your parents should have gravitas to it. It should have weight in your mind and the way that you think about them. That that gravitas should move you toward respecting of them, toward obeying them, toward listening to them. And later in life that we, we have the gravitas of their role as our parents and that we're supposed to care for them and to continually give them love, that we're to kiss them with grace which is really a, a beautiful idea in an ideal world. <laughs> because what God is displaying here is the principle of the family. So I brought this umbrella along to try to help you understand that God has set the family up in a certain way. And if we understand how that, uh, that family system works, this is the way God made us for it to work. Just like gravity, you know, gravity, if you don't believe in gravity, it's gonna be a hard fall for you. Like, but if you understand gravity, then you can work with it and understand the principles of gravity and benefit from it. But if you can imagine that when God set up the family system, okay, anybody superstitious here? <clears throat> Should we talk about that first, right? That, that parents are like an umbrella and when they bring children in under the umbrella, they bless them with the four Ps or they kiss them with four Ps. They bless them with promises and provision and power and peace. Let me try to explain that. What I mean is that uh, in an ideal world, when a parent brings a child underneath their, their umbrella, the first thing they do is they give them promises. Like I promise to love you and I promise to care for you. I promise to teach you the ways of life. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you why love always have boundaries to it. And I'm gonna teach you how to honor yourself in such a way that you create boundaries that protect what is holy and noble. And that's a part of love. I'm gonna teach you what your emotions are and why they're beautiful and why they're from the Lord, but why you shouldn't often trust them. I'm gonna teach you about how to have good relationships and how to ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness. And I'm gonna teach you about the glory of Jesus. I promise you. But parents also bring provision. I'm gonna give you food and I'm gonna give you clothing and I'm gonna give you stuff. I'm gonna provide for you. But they also give us power. 
under the umbrella of our parents, we get to share in the power that is theirs. It's funny, on our street, we have a lot of little kids. And uh, when they're running through my yard, you know, I'm yelling at them, get off my grass, kids. No, I don't do that. <laughs> that would be cruel, wouldn't it? I'm that guy, right? Yeah, ball falls in my yard, I'm keeping it, you know? Uh, no, no. But I, go, I often go, where are you going? And they go, I'm going to my house. And I laugh when they say that because I know the truth. You don't own a house. Are you kidding? You're going to your house? You're going to your daddy's house. In fact, let me tell you something about you. You may be the poorest person in this entire neighborhood. You own nothing. Those toys you have, they're old. Nobody wants to pay anything for those. But that child, you know what he has? He has complete access to that house. He has the right to call it his house. He doesn't knock before he enters. That's power. And that's just a small example of the power we get to experience and share with our parents. Their name, their reputation, their standing in the community. Oh, you're so-and-so's kid. That has gravitas in an ideal world. And also peace. Do you know how hard life is? You know, when you grow up in your home until you're five years old and your mama kisses you and says, you're the most beautiful person that's ever walked on the face of the planet. And then you go to kindergarten and you realize nobody else shares that opinion about you. That's a harsh world. And then you learn all through high school, maybe nobody even thinks well of you. Home is the place where you go out into the wild wilderness of life, the pain of life, the strategy of life, and you come back home and there's somebody that welcomes you and holds you, somebody who kisses you and says you're loved here, somebody that puts you bed at night and says, I'll protect you, you are safe. In an ideal world, my parents bring promise and provision and power and peace. And when Jesus says, or when God says in Exodus chapter 20, honor your mother and father, what he's saying is stay under the umbrella. Stay under the umbrella. Obey them. Listen to them. Trust them. Here's a problem with that scenario. And the problem is your parents. That's the first problem. You know what the other problem is? You. Un unfortunately, parents oftentimes are lousy parents. And they don't provide, you know, and they don't give us promises. They break promises. And they use their power against us instead of for us. And our homes oftentimes are anything but peaceful. In fact, they're the exact opposite of peaceful. And if they are peaceful, guess what's going to disrupt the peace? You. You disrupt the peace. The problem is, is that, uh, well, can I, let me talk about me first, okay? And I want you to share in the meanness of what I'm about to talk about. I have inside of me, I, I don't know if you have this, I have this gauge inside of me. It's an invisible gauge, but it's, I can see it clearly every moment of the day. And it's called my fairness gauge. What's fair? What's fair? Like, I got to tell you one of my pet peeves is when I go to a coffee shop and I get a coffee to go and they turn the screen to me to sign my name and the first prompt is, what kind of a tip do you want to leave the server? And the first option is $1, $2, $3. In my mind, I'm going, not fair. You turned around and you poured coffee. You did your job. And you want me to tip you for turning around? And if you're a barista here, I love you. And I just don't spit in my coffee tomorrow, I promise. About 50% of the time, out of just guilt, I will give you the tip. 
I promise you. But even when I tip you, there's a part of me that's going, this is not fair. I shouldn't be asked to give you money for doing your job. And you didn't even do it well. You didn't even smile at me this morning. I've got so many yeah buts. And I tell you, I got so many yeah buts when it comes to my parents. I do. I've got unrealistic yeah buts. I mean, they go all the way back to when I was seven and I wanted a pony and they didn't buy me one. You know, I would honor you, but, but you didn't provide for me the way that I wanted to be provided for. I wanted an electric guitar and a drum set. My mom said no for her own sanity. <laughs> I didn't understand it at the time. And that's true, I've got unrealistic yeah buts, but I also have very realistic yeah buts. So my dad, um, his mom and dad both worked and he grew up in the 50s, late 40s and the 50s. And um, there was no such thing as latchkey kids back then. I mean, there were no two income homes. That was so rare, but my dad was one of the kids that raised himself. He would come home and his parents were never home. His mom was a nurse that would sometimes work past midnight. And he often told me stories of him coming home and nobody's at home um, and wouldn't be home until late at night, that he would feed himself, that he would provide for himself, that uh, back then there wasn't television. So I guess he would, you know, whittle a radio out of wood or something, I don't know. And, but he was alone and being alone changed my father. And what it changed my father was, and this is a legitimate gripe I had about my dad. My dad, I can't remember my time my dad ever hugged me. I can't ever remember a time where my dad sat down and just looked at me and said, would you just tell me how you're doing today? I, I can't remember a time. My dad's emotional intelligence, he didn't even have a meter for it. Like, I don't even think he understood that he had emotions, you know? And he didn't like to talk. In fact, he was very isolated. He was so much of an introvert that if you wanted to spend time with my dad, then you had to sit on the couch and watch TV with him. That's how you spent time with my dad. But you kind of get it, don't you? And even though I kind of get it and I can give him grace, I still have a yeah but when it comes to my dad. And some of you, and, and I can tell you even darker stories of that, and I, I'm, I don't feel the freedom to be that vulnerable to you this morning because you all have a mask on and you're not being vulnerable with me, so there. <laughs> Some of you were raised by parents who abused you. That's a big yeah, but. Some of you were raised by parents who were addicts, who were serious promise breakers. Some of you have horrific, horrific stories. And I just want to stop and I just want to honor you and say, I know, I know how painful that is. And that's why it pains me to say what I'm about to say. Because the command to honor your mother and your father does not come with a condition. It doesn't make margin for my yeah buts. Hmm. We're gonna get into that in just a second, but you have to understand that This command in Exodus chapter 20, where if you go back to it, says, um, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. If 
That word if's not in there, but it's implied. If you honor your mother and your father. And, and that word if is in front of every command in the Old Testament. That if you'll be the kind of people that God's calling you to be, then, then you'll get what the commands are going to give you. And the problem with that is, is that I'm not good at upholding the ifs, and neither are you. I'm not good at honoring my mother and my father. I'm not good at keeping the commandments of the law. And God knew I wasn't good at it. In fact, the Old Testament laws were intended to point to the fact that I can't keep the Old Testament laws. And because I can't keep the Old Testament laws, there has to be another way to be in fellowship with God because the design that God has for the family, guess what, is the design that he has for you and me. And here's the design, that when I come in under the umbrella of my, my heavenly father, he gives me promises, he gives me provision, he gives me power, and he gives me peace. Those are the things that the true father gives me, but I can't get under there through my obedience. And because God knew that, that's why he sent Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it talks about that, that the law wasn't able to usher you under the umbrella of God's grace. Uh, in fact, it was taking you away from the umbrella of God's grace. And so he sent Jesus in verse 3 of Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do, the law couldn't get me underneath God's promises and his provision his power and his peace, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, meaning my inability to do it, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of it, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Meaning I don't live according to the law anymore. I live according to the spirit. But when Christ went to the cross and then rose again, through him, I have access now, the doorway to come in underneath my true heavenly father's promises. Man, they're immense. And his provision, I will give you everything you need for life and godliness. His power to live the life that he's called us to live by the power of the spirit and his peace. We talked about that last week, the Sabbath rest. It's why, you know, whenever we talk about um, life here. We talk about that as believers, we, we don't live to get underneath here. We live because we're underneath here. In other words, if you have a hard time being generous, like if giving is a really hard thing for you, you realize I'm not living in the full awareness of who I am. Because the people that live in the family of God under the umbrella of God are generous people. And scripture teaches us that if you're not a good giver, it's not that you, you're lousy at giving, you're lousy at understanding how much has been given to you. And when scripture talks about forgiveness, which is the nature of God's people and his family, if you're lousy at forgiving other people, it's not because you stink at the three steps of forgiveness, it's that you stink in understanding how much you've been forgiven. You've forgotten that your pockets are full of forgiveness. You've forgotten that your pockets are full of generosity. You've forgotten, and even love is the same way. It says we love because we've been loved. That's how we love. We love out of the knowledge of how much that we've been loved. So how do we honor our mother and our father? Okay, so let's go to Luke chapter 15. You're with me? We're in light speed now. This is a very, maybe a very familiar story. This is Jesus telling a story 
there were a bunch of Pharisees standing around and his disciples. And in verse 11, it says, uh, Jesus continued, he's talking right now, and he says, there was a man who had two sons. Now, this is the story that some of you have heard called the prodigal son. Have y'all heard this story before? You know? Um, <clears throat> wow, y'all are so unengaged. Thank you. Just appreciate that encouragement. For those of you that are watching at home, zero people raised their hand. Thank you, home church. I can feel you, even though you're a week away. All right. <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons. Now, I want you to stop for a second, because if you've ever read this story thinking that this was a story about two sons, I want you to see the first words. I want to challenge this, because this story starts with, there, there was a man. Now, who's the man? It's the father. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read this story, but I want you to read it from this perspective. Jesus is telling us about the father, not the sons. This is a story about a father, not about his boys. You with me? Okay. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. No, that's not true. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebration. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I love that. Like, how do you hear dancing? You know how. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you've never and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So let's try to harvest out of this story the strength that we need to understand what it means now as people that are filled with grace to give grace and kiss our mom and dad, okay? 
So there was a man, he was a father, the story's about a father, and he had these two horrible sons, and these two horrible sons are like the poster childs for uh, dishonor. Like, if you want to talk about the exact opposite of honor, it's these two goobers right here in this story. I mean, they're horrible. They're just, they're like bad seeds. Like the first one, you know, and maybe you've heard sermons on this before, but we're going to dive into it. Anyway, when the, the youngest son came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Here's what he was doing. Okay, in that time, an estate or a family's wealth was tied up in their land. And when a, when a son inherits part of his father's estate, what he's inheriting is the land. And so when he came to his father and he said, Father, I, I want you to give me my share of the inheritance, the first thing he's saying is, I wish you were dead. My life would be better if you just died right now because I want your stuff way more than I want you. That, that's said. You've probably heard that before. But let me tell you what's going on with this father because the son is really coming to him and saying, Dad, I know that the land that we live on is probably multi, 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 multi generationals in the making. That this land probably goes all the way back to your great, great grandfather and his grandfather. And then I, and all the history that you have with this land. And I'm asking you now to take a third of it and get rid of it, sell it. No longer let it be a part of you. In fact, dad, I'm tearing out your heart because I'm tearing apart your estate so that you can give me my share. It's not just that he was having a deep impact on the family's history. You understand he's also jeopardizing now the family future because the estate that had provided for them for generations now was the state that was about to be cut in a third. Think about this. Like the listeners of this story would have been like, oh, nobody would have ever done that. And if he did, let me tell you what culture would have demanded, that the only thing that the father gave him was the back of his hand. That was it. I'm going to give you the back of my hand for such a shameful request that I'm going to usher you out the door and I'm going to tell you, you're not getting nothing. In fact, when I die, you're not getting anything. Culturally, that would have been accepted. In fact, culturally, the entire town would have celebrated, reinforced, in fact, what we're about to see, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it. <clears throat> and yet, this dad goes, okay. So let me ask you an honest question. Is this guy an idiot? Like, is this father like Mr. Gullible? Is this dad the dad with no backbone? Is he stupid? Is he naive? Does he really think, well, I'm going to give a third to my son and he's going to go forth and make millions on Wall Street? No, he knows who his son is. In any scenario, none of us would appreciate this dad. But remember what Jesus is doing here. He's trying, to, he's trying to help you see your father. It gets worse. So you know the story, the son goes off and he squanders everything and he doesn't squander it on a bad investment. He doesn't squander it on, you know, I'm gonna now invest in pigs and it, it just doesn't work out. You know, the ham market crashes. It's not like he does something, you know, noble and yet it worked out horrible. He went and, he went and gave all this family estate money to the people that were least worthy of it to drug dealers, to bartenders. To, that sounded horrible to bartenders, didn't it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Me and people that serve drinks. This is not going to be a good week. You're going to spit in my beer. I know. 
I mean, he doesn't, he's, he, he shamefully lives in such a way that he brings shame to his family. And everybody knows what he's doing. And his older brother in the later story says, I know exactly where he went and spent all that money. We all know. He, we, this world ain't so big that we don't know what he's doing. And this whole idea, and you know, that a lot of theologians have debated, did the son repent when he was uh, feeding the pigs and saying, you know, my father's house, even the servants eat better than this. And um, I tend to side on the side that he's not repenting at all. In fact, the story starts with the younger son. He comes up with a plan, the best plan he can think of for his life. If I could just get a bunch of money, then I can go live the life that I want to live. Then that's going to be living. And then when he's standing in the midst of the pigs and looking at this rotten food and thinking about his dad, he does the exact same thing. I'm going to come up with a plan. And here's the plan. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say, Dad, if you'll let me live in town and if you'll put me under as an apprentice under one of your hired workers that will teach me a trade, then I'll spend my life paying you back. That's penance. That's not repentance. But we can debate that later. But what do we see in the father? The father sees him a far way off and he runs to him. The father sheds his dignity. Because men, patriarchs of a community did not run. But he shed all that and ran after his father. And you know why some people believe that he was running after his son out there? Is because he knew that if the town people saw him before I did, they're going to kill him. They're going to do to him what I should have done culturally to him when he asked for my estate. And they're going to do what I should do culturally to my son for what he did with my estate. And what does he do? He runs out there to them and he begins to kiss his son. And immediately, look what he does. He brings him under the umbrella. Oh, bring him a robe. What was the best robe? It was the father's robe. That's the best robe. What is he doing? <clears throat> He's bringing his son back under the umbrella of promise. And then he says, now put a ring on his finger. And what is he doing? He's bringing him back under the umbrella of providence and provision and power. Like, think about this. When he put that ring back on his son, he reinstated his son as an heir to the existing estate. Even though his son had squandered a third of the estate, he's now going, you get another third. Wow, what? And then the party, are you kidding me? That's more scandalous than us throwing a party at 3.30 in the morning in a greasy spoon in Honolulu for a group of prostitutes. And guess what? Everybody was invited. Why? Because the father wanted there to be no confusion among the community that my love has fallen on this boy. And my love looks like promise and it looks like power and it looks like provision and it looks like peace. So y'all need to deal with that because this is my boy. And we're going to dance so loud that the older brother can hear the dancing. You see what the father's doing? <laughs> the father's honoring his son where honor is not due. The father is taking out of all his resources and at a great cost to himself, he is honoring his son. Look at the older brother. We're not going to let him off the hook. He was quite a goober himself. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. <clears throat> Yet you never gave me a younger goat so, uh, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, 
you killed the fatted calf for him. It's hard for us to understand culturally when, when a son looks at his father and says, look, what he's, what he's really saying is, look, you. That is the most disrespectful. He's not, he's not addressing his father as his father. He's not addressing him with the gravitas of the weight of his role. He's really treating him as someone that he has disdain and disrespect for, somebody that's beneath him. Then he says, I've slaved for you. And what is he doing? He's calling his father a slave driver. You're a slave driver. He said, I always obeyed your orders that you have been my master. You have been a burden on my back since the day that I was born. You never, you're stingy. You never, you're so ungrateful to me. You're never, you've been mean to me my entire life. Quote. And yet you gave it to him. We had times more we could go into Jewish tradition and how this father could have easily given his oldest son the back of the hand there too and it ushered him out of the barn, but he didn't. What did he do? He said, son, come on into the house and let's party. Is the father weak for not holding his ground, not using the back of his hand? Is he afraid of conflict? Is this dad everybody's favorite doormat that they just wipe their feet on? Or is it possible that this father knew exactly what he was doing? Just like your father knows exactly what he's doing with you. That Jesus wants us to see a father who honors you when you didn't know what honor was. That this is a father that wanted to move toward you when you were broken and empty and kiss you and fill your pockets full of grace and forgiveness and love. Is it possible that we're the prostitutes? That Jesus has come out at 3.30 in the morning to throw a party for us. I'm gonna say, if, if you don't see yourself in that position, if you don't see, you don't know the Jesus I'm talking about. If you look at Jesus and you go, Jesus and I, we're, we're cool. If you don't see him as as the one who comes at great expense to move toward your brokenness and kiss the unlovable. I don't know if you know my Jesus. Because when you know a Jesus like that, then you realize his invitation now to come underneath the umbrella of his promise changes our lives. Are you kidding me? I lived without promise. When he brings us up under the provision and says, hey, quit worrying about money. I will always give you everything you need for life and godliness. Quit worrying about what you look like. Who cares about that? I have made you just the way you are and you are beautiful. Oh, really? Is that true? Don't worry about the power you need. I'll give you all the power you need for the things that I've called you in. Test my power. Dare to go where other people say you can't go. Test me in that way and see how good I am. And peace, wow. Every time, man, my lack of peace is the alarm bell to get back under here. Because this is his promise. This is my place. This is the norm for those of us that follow Jesus as a life of peace. And here's what I'm going to say to you. And this may be very unsatisfying to many of you. Drink, in, drink that in. Drink it in. Meditate on it. Scripture says, I dare you to pause and to consider how much God loves you. 
If you will give attention to that in your life, it will fill you up with the very fullness of God. That's what it says in Ephesians. It promises you that. Drink it in. Let it flow into your life and then let it flow out to your parents. Here's where it gets hard. <laughs> no. Some of you have good parents. I mean, that's just so easy. I mean, you're just going to call them today and you're going to go, hey, Bert, you know, because y'all are so close, you call them by the first name, you know, and just, just thank you so much for all the ways that you've cared for me. I've never felt unloved. Like, God bless you. Like, you're just, you live on a world that many of us don't understand. We don't know that. I know for me personally, when we took all our kids to college, as we're dropping them off and I'm hugging them, the last thing I said to them is, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. I, and they, what? I'm like, you don't, you don't get it yet. I know. But trust me, it's coming. You're going to realize ugh, all the wounds and the dysfunctions that we poured into your life and you didn't even know it. Here, drink that cup. What's that? Dysfunction. And it's probably going to come out when you get married. I swear it is. You know, the way you argue, the way you think, how selfish you are. I gave you all that. Like, it's, trust me. And you're going to blame me for it. I know because you got it in you too. And some of you have horrible parents, horrible parents. And, um, and you should not, some of you cannot call your parents and should not call your parents. Some of you out of health for your family have boundaries that have said no. And that is, that is so appropriate. And maybe your journey of honoring starts right here instead of right here. But wherever your situation is, Jesus is calling you to live out of the honor that he has filled your pockets with. It's the only way you're gonna be able to do it is to understand how much your father has poured honor on you. That's the only way now. We don't live to get under here. We live because we are under here. And now we live as those that live under this and live out of this. And if I don't understand what honor is, it's because I've not received the full honor that my father has poured on me at his own expense to where the world goes, he must be a fool. And yet we know he isn't. So drink this in. Meditate on this. Let it fall in the deep places of your own heart where you realize your sin that disqualified you from that is the very thing he comes to kiss. That we're the prostitute that he's throwing the party for. And then we listen to him. And we say, Father, what do you want, to, what do you want me to do? And he may say, I want you to forgive your parents. Go on that journey. Yeah, you better throw a party with some friends to help you on that one. Or you need to let go of the resentment you have of them or your fear of them or their control over you. For some of you, it's just calling them and saying, please forgive me for what an idiot I've been, how I've not given you honor. And I just love you and I just want you to hear that. I was at a wedding Friday night and... Um, one of my favorite things to do at a wedding is in pre-marriage counseling, when somebody, I always ask them about their family, you know, and their family systems. And because, um, you know, couples love to think that their family system's perfect in many ways. And they think that if we just blend our family systems together and we blend them up in a smoothie, that that smoothie's gonna be delicious and it never is. Uh, but when they say beautiful things about their parents, when I get to the wedding, I like to take one of the parents aside and say, I wanna tell you what your son said about you. And so that happened Friday night. I took the father of the groom aside and I said, hey, 
I just, I just want, I want you to hear how your son honored you when nobody was listening but me. And I start telling him and he starts to cry. Why? You know why. Because it heals, doesn't it? Because believe it or not, even your parents carry the shame that I'm not enough. And when the Lord says, hey, when I step into your life and I go, my love makes you enough. Now go and live out of that. Where he leads you, I don't know. If you need to talk about that, come on up and give me a call. Grab your small group, say pray for me. I'm not going to prescribe any kind of roadmap for you because we're all different. But I'll tell you this, the Jesus that calls us to honor first honors us and fills our pockets with everything we need to follow where he's leading. Lord, would you bless us now and would you not let this word um, fall to the ground and not produce fruit, but like a good seed. I pray right now, Lord, we would water your word with our attention. We'd water it with our desire for you to speak to us, Holy Spirit, and we would water it, Father, with a passion to be obedient to where you're calling us to go because we are children that live under the umbrella of your love for us. So thank you for kissing us with your grace. Now make us uh, those that are outstanding kissers of grace in our world. In Christ's name.